0: Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, if you would, to 1 Peter. If you did not bring a a copy of the Scripture with you today, we would welcome you to to reach forward to the pew rack in front of you, and and there you should find a copy of God's Word. And in fact, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, uh, we would like to ask you to take that one. Put your name in the front and take that one. And uh, simply accept it as a gift from us. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Uh, I want to bring a message this morning entitled the proclamation of the Easter message. The proclamation of the Easter message. Stand with me please for the reading of God's word. We'll start in verse 3 and we will actually read down Uh, Through verse 9 this morning. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we stand here on this Easter Sunday morning as your people, a grateful people. Because, Lord, as we celebrate the resurrection this morning, we do so as a people that have been blessed. We've received your mercy. It was your mercy and your love that sent your Son to die on the cross for us. He died for our sin that we might have peace with you. That the sin debt might be forgiven. And he was raised to life, the first fruits of those who were raised. That in him we too shall have life, eternal life. So indeed God, we are a grateful people. Because we're talking about things this morning that we could not have done by our wisdom and our power. Because, Lord, we had sinned and we were separated from you and we were hopeless. We were a dying people, not only dying physically but spiritually and headed towards eternal separation from you. But you stepped in by your mercy. And so, God, we are a grateful people. We celebrate the life that you give us. Speak to us through your word about that today. And, Lord, I pray that it would be your pleasure to use your word to open the hearts and minds of those who need to be saved. I think of Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that as Paul shared the word with her, that the Lord opened her heart to believe. Lord, we would ask that you would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, I want you to think with me a a moment about a very heart-wrenching scene in the New Testament. It is that scene that we find in John chapter 11. Think about that with me for a moment this morning. In John chapter 11, we know that one of Jesus' most dear friends on the face of the earth, Lazarus, has died. Jesus was very close to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings, And he told his disciples, let's go to Bethany because Lazarus is asleep. And they said, Lord, if he's asleep, leave him alone. It'll do him well. And Jesus said, you don't understand. He's died. Well, they got there to Bethany and Martha runs out to meet Jesus and she's broken hearted. And she says, "Yet, Lord, I know that you're the son of God and whatever you ask will be done. Jesus said, your brother will live live again. She said, oh, I know there's there's a coming judgment and, and there'll be life after that. And Jesus said, I want you to understand, I'm the resurrection and the life. Though a man dies, yet shall he live if he believes in me. And we know what happened after that. Mary came out and he went through uh, the same scenario basically with her. He said, then he said, show me the tomb where you've laid him. And they went to the tomb and he said, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He was alive. What a wonderful scene in our gospels that goes from despair and weeping to sheer joy and celebration because the life of a loved one has been raised and returned folks you and i need to understand today that for the believer the grave is not the end it is not the final chapter We know that living in a fallen world means that in this life we're certainly going to have our share of trials and tribulation. And and you might be in such a, a valley right now in your life. But the believer knows that because of Christ's resurrection we too will be raised. That means that there is more to this life than what this world can offer. You and I have a blessed hope. Today as we look at the triumph of Jesus Christ over the grave, we celebrate the fact that he lives. The hymn says it so well. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living because, just because, he lives. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would simply have to take its place alongside of all other human philosophies and religions. John MacArthur writes, just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. Folks, without the resurrection, we would have nothing more than a hollow hope. After all, what would the cross mean if there were no resurrection? If this life is all there is and when you die, you die, then the cross really didn't save us from anything. But let's look today at our Christian hope. A hope not only for now, but a hope for all eternity. First thing I want you to see with me this morning is Christ's resurrection brings, brings us a living hope. A living hope Peter says there in verse 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, and you'll want to circle that, we'll come back to it in a moment. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that Peter says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today, do you have hope? Do you have hope? You know, there's a lot in the world that can take hope away. Recently, we've seen some of those examples in the news. We've heard, for example, about this Malaysian Flight 370. And while theories of this mystery have certainly been overworked by the media to the point uh, of turning us off to even listening to another minute of it, nonetheless, think about that if you were a family member and that family member was missing, and you had no idea what had happened to them. It would be agonizing to wait. And think about this Korean ferry that that uh, uh, list listed and, and turned over and, and sank in the water, and and what about three hundred high school students were on board, and most of them. ...are still missing and it appears that only a few survivors have been identified. It's like scenarios such as those occur every week now in the news... You cut on the TV each week or you, you boot up your computer on your, your news homepage and you look there and it just seems like every few days a, a story such as that is happening somewhere in the world. So much heartache and tragedy. And it makes us realize that there is nothing in this life, there is nothing in, in this world that we can count on, that we have to offer, that, that is stable and secure. In fact, James writes in James chapter 4 that life is just a vapor. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. I feel sorry for those people who have nothing but the world in which to place their hope. Because again, there's nothing here that is worthy of that hope. But folks, Peter is talking here about a hope that never dies. He's talking about a hope that nothing in this world, no tragedy can change. This is the kind of hope that only Jesus Christ brings. And he has some words to say about it to describe this living hope. Let's, let's begin, let's break this living hope down a, a little bit today. First of all, he says about it that through the risen Christ, we have a living hope that we can be born again. He says he has caused us to be born again. The prophet Jeremiah once asked a rhetorical question. Can the Ethiopian change its skin or the leopard change his spots? His analogy was given to point out that we as human beings unaided by divine intervention cannot change our sin nature. We are in a hopeless state. And yet at the same time we are not without hope. He says here that the Father has caused us to be born again. And so our salvation is not rooted in the merit of man, but in the mercy of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now folks, salvation and the Easter message have everything to do with one another. You see, if Christ were still in the grave, if he were still in the tomb, he couldn't save from anything a dead Savior can't save. What if our New Testaments would have closed with Jesus' body being put in the grave and they would have walked away? Matthew 27 says when Joseph had taken the body he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now what if that was the end of the New Testament? Well in that case... Jesus would have absolutely nothing to offer any of us. Because without the resurrection, there is no Savior. And without the Savior, there's no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there's no justification. Without justification, there's no cleansing. Without cleansing, you and I are still, would still be in our sin. And the penalty of our sin would still be upon us. Folks, if you take the resurrection out of Christianity, you might as well take the heart out of a man. I thank God that that I don't preach about some man who is still lying in a tomb somewhere. I think of that missionary that was preaching in a Muslim village in, in northern India... And, and afterwards, uh, a Muslim cleric came up to him and said, You've got to admit, we have something that you don't have. We can go to Mecca and we can visit Muhammad's uh, grave, but you go to your Mecca, Jerusalem, and there's nothing there but an empty tomb. And that missionary said, Hallelujah, sir. That is the difference between my faith and your faith. Notice again what Peter says. He's saying that God offers you this opportunity of salvation by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is belief in the resurrection necessary for salvation? You bet. Romans ten nine says to us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Through Christ we can be born again. Because He lives, He brings salvation. You can be born again and you can have a fresh start. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody here this morning who needs that fresh start. There was a man in the Bible in your same situation. His name was Paul. In Philippians 3, Paul gives this resume about all he had going in his favor. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And and, and as to a a Pharisee, he was blameless. But he says, what was gained to me, I now count as loss for Christ. And so as Paul looked at his life, he said, forgetting all those things that, that lie behind, I now reach forward... To that which I have been apprehended for. God gave him a fresh start. Paul was born again on the road to Damascus. God did that for Paul who was Rabbi Saul at the time, of course, he did that because of his great mercy. If ever there was a man who didn't deserve it, surely it would have been Saul because he was going about and trying to kill Christians and put others in jail. And yet God in his mercy reached down and he saved that man. And what he did in his life, he can do in your life. Do you need that fresh start this morning? Through the risen Christ we have a living hope that we can be forgiven. What's included along with the new birth? What what is there the realization of? There's the realization that through Him our sin is forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a sin problem. We have committed sins of commission. The Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. We're like sheep. That we just choose our own path, go our own way and, and disregard God who's our shepherd. We sin against God. We break the commands of God. And every single one of us here have done that. We've been guilty. And the Bible says you commit even one transgression of the law and you have sinned against the whole. The analogy I've given before is if I gave you a book and I opened that book and I tore out a page right in the middle and gave you that book, have I diminished the whole? Have I sinned against the whole? Yes. Yes. The Bible says you break one command of God, you transgress one law of God, and it is as if you have sinned against the whole thing. And all of us are guilty, we've gone our own way, we've transgressed the law of God. And not only sins of commission, but we've committed sins of omission. That's failing to do the things that we should have done. You know, we say, oh, compared to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, I'm not that bad. We're making the wrong comparison. We're comparing ourselves to one another. Well, folks, we don't compare ourselves to one another because we're all in the same boat. When you compare yourself to the righteous, perfect life of the Lord Jesus, like Isaiah said, you have to say, woe is me, I am undone. We commit sins of omission. We fail to do that which we should do. And the Bible says because of sin there is death. In in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. uh, God said you'll die. You'll go back to the dust of the earth from which you came. They died physically. And there was also spiritual death. Revelation 20 says that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so what could we sum up by saying about the human predicament? We're in pretty bad shape, aren't we? We're in pretty bad shape. No hope, desperate, alienated from God. But folks, the gospel points out that God has provided for the new birth through Jesus Christ. And in that new birth, we have the forgiveness of sins, we have peace with God, and we have access before God. And our names are written in God's book of life. He died for you on the cross. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He paid the penalty for your sin. And then he was raised the first fruits of all of those who will be raised. First fruits is the promise of more to come. He was raised as the first fruits. And all of those who are in Christ, the Bible speaks of being born again also in terms like we are in Christ. All of those who are in Christ likewise will be raised. That's the promise of the gospel. And so Jesus gives us forgiveness and gives us peace with God and gives us eternal life. In John chapter 10 he said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Folks, that's the Easter message. That's the message that the Bible proclaims. And that's what we celebrate on this special day. If you talk to unbelievers, they may say, why do y'all make such a big deal out of Easter? Well, this is why we make a big deal out of Easter. Easter is good news. Because without it, you and I are in the worst of news. But God has provided through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that you can be born again. Second thing I want you to see this morning is Christ's resurrection guarantees us a future inheritance. Look at what he says beginning in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Inheritance. That's the key thought in these verses. Inheritance. Think about, follow the order of what he's saying. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. And the result of that is what? That we have an inheritance laid up in store for us. Now folks, the the thought of inheritance is a thought that is rooted even back in the Old Testament. Remember when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and led them for 40 years in the wilderness? Once they crossed into the promised land under Joshua... They began defeating those those first cities. There was Jericho and Ai. And and then God led them in to start defeating the Canaanites. And beginning in Joshua chapter 13, what does God begin doing? God begins giving each tribe an inheritance. Each one of them got a certain allotment of the land. But they messed it up, didn't they? It, it was You could say it was a corrupted and a defiled inheritance because they didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't drive out the Canaanites. And God said, because you've done this, there's always going to be a thorn in your side because you didn't obey me in this. I gave you this inheritance and you didn't do what I told you to do. And so now as you enjoy this inheritance, there's always going to be this element of of struggle to it. Because you didn't obey me. So the thought of inheritance is deeply rooted even in the Old Testament. But what Peter wants us to realize is that God through Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, has given us an inheritance that is greater than anything they received in the Old Testament. Because the inheritance that Jesus has secured for us, nothing can touch it, nothing can diminish it, it will never fade. You see, if Christ were not risen from the dead, though, there would be no inheritance. Because there would be no future. No future at all. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. He's responding there to some people who were denying the resurrection. He said, you don't understand something. If you deny the resurrection, that means that you are still in your sin. All of our preaching would be in vain. Your belief would be in vain. And worse uh, worse than any of that even, we would all found to to be liars because we said that there's a resurrection if there's no resurrection. All faith would be vain. Everything would be in vain. you would have believed for nothing without the resurrection. That's how necessary it is. But Peter is saying because of the resurrection we have all of these promises of God. All of this inheritance from God that nothing can ever take away. Now let's let's look at the identity of our future inheritance. Let's think about that a moment. First thing I think of is that heavenly home Jesus promised. Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. He was speaking there in the upper room to some pretty troubled men. Because Peter had denied him three times. Judas had betrayed him and Jesus had just told him, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. They were sitting in that upper room after enjoying that Passover meal together. And they were troubled men. And Jesus looked at him and said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That inheritance includes a heavenly home. The Bible says that God is preparing a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We'll be in heaven, a perfect place. Jesus is preparing that place for us. And then there's our new body, the resurrection body that we get. And then the Bible speaks of crowns. Five, At least five different crowns mentioned in the Bible. Things like the crown of rejoicing and the, the crown of righteousness... Goes on to describe these different rewards that we'll get in heaven. That's just a little taste of it. It's it's going to be so great that finally Paul, it's like Paul just kind of stops and he says, Wait a minute, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's like Paul is saying, time out a minute. As great as these descriptions are that we can talk about uh, our inheritance in heaven, it is going to be even greater still than human words can comprehend or explain. And folks, that's, that's the inheritance that believers have. If you are in Christ, that is the promise that you have. Jesus said, I give unto my sheep eternal life. Think a minute about the quality of our future inheritance. The quality of it. He he mentions several things beginning there in verse 4. First of all, it can never perish. It never dies. It's imperishable. Nothing can destroy it. Then he goes on to say it's undefiled. It can never spoil. It can never be corrupted. Nothing can tarnish it. Now every day we see sin in this world. We live in a world that Romans 8 says is groaning. We're groaning and the whole earth is groaning. And it has been groaning since the fall in Genesis 3. And because of that bad things happen even to people that we would describe as being good people. There's a dark cloud hanging over this world. A a, a world in which tsunamis happen, earthquakes happen, cancer happens, tragedies happen. But folks, where you and I are headed, if you're in Christ, it's a totally different story. He's making all things new, he says. These bodies wear out now. Some of you got up this morning, probably because of the cool, cool, rainy weather over the weekend. Your joints were kind of creaking, right? You might have had to take take some Aleve or ibuprofen and rub some medicine on some of those joints. Creaking joints, your body is wearing out. You can jog, you can eat right. You can do everything to extend your earthly life, and you will die a healthy corpse. (laughs) These bodies wear out. They get old. They wear out. But folks, we're going to get a new body. 1 Corinthians 15 says, So also is, is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Notice the contrast here. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. He goes on to say there, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on Immortality. Hallelujah. A new body, a new home with Jesus, and a new body that'll never wear out, and a place where sin won't defile or corrupt anything. That's our inheritance. He's not done yet though. Notice he, he keeps going. He, he talks about it being unfading in verse 4. It'll never lose its beauty. Our heavenly inheritance is like a jewel. That'll be just as beautiful 100,000 years after we're there as it was the very first day that we saw it. Amazing grace says when we've been there a Uh, 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The beauty, the glory, the majesty of heaven will never be diminished. It'll never fade. What happens to resources on this earth? Everything we have on this earth, what happens to it? Well, on its own, it decays. And in the meantime, any earthly inheritance, any earthly resources we have, can also be stolen. It's not secure. And boy, have we learned that one lately. In Connie's family some things that's been going on the last 11 weeks and I ran it by her and we're there to a point now she said yeah it's okay if you do mention that I said boy that's a perfect illustration of how things of this world diminish and they're stolen we got back from Israel about 11 weeks ago She stumbled on to something in her family. Let's just say it has to do with a a very wealthy family member that she has. Something was said that didn't ring, ring true to Connie about this wealthy family member. Something somebody said. Back when Connie was a practicing CPA, she hated the tax section of being a CPA. She loved internal auditing. So boy, the auditor kicked in on her. And she started analyzing things and putting things together and looking here and looking there and looking there. And it'd blow your mind the things that started being revealed. For 11 weeks now, she's been meeting... With the Charlotte Police Department, they've assigned a detective to the case. Another detective with uh, elder care and DSS has said, this is turning out to be potentially one of the biggest cases of this nature that Mecklenburg County has ever had. She's been dealing with banks all over. Guys in departments with banks that are over the criminal division and, and fraud and embezzlement all over the country been been calling her. She's been preparing big reports, putting all this massive thing together. And they're fixing to begin the prosecution process. That's all I'll say about it, but... That's all I'll say about it now, but Perfect example of how you can have a whole bunch of resources in the world. A whole bunch. And it can fly away. People can steal it. And it is amazing some of the ways, some of the schemes and plots they go through to steal it. Let me say, if you're an older person with a lot of resources, you better be careful and you better be having somebody check what's happening with some of what you own. I've nicknamed her Rocky now. But again, everything in this world, everything can be attacked or stolen or diminished. But not our heavenly inheritance. It's absolutely secure. It is a sure thing. Verse 4 says, it is kept. It is reserved. Our heavenly inheritance can't be threatened in any way. That's why Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven. For nothing can touch it there. Now, that's not all. Look at what he says in verse 5. Not only is it kept for you, but you're kept for it. He says it's reserved for you who are kept by the power of God. Peter says we're kept, we're shielded by the power of God. Now the word kept or shielded here is a military term. It means to guard. It is the picture of a military garrison standing guard around a city. But instead of a military guard, it is none other than God Himself that is watching over us. I can tell you without the slightest hesitation that any salvation that is genuine is absolutely secure. What God produces, God protects. What God gives, God guards. What God commences, God completes. We can believe, and believe in the preservation of the saints because we can believe in the perseverance of the saviour. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. And one more thing here. Kept is in the present tense. He just goes on and on keeping us. He goes on and on and on and on and on keeping our inheritance. And he goes on and on and on and on and on keeping us for that inheritance. He's working at both ends of the spectrum. So the question is not, can I hold on to God? But can God hold on to me? And the answer is a resounding yes. In Romans 8, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution What an inheritance. It's laid up and kept for you and you're kept for it. And how does all this happen? Has it happened? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Would you bow your heads please? Folks, I, I've, just, I've just scratched the surface this morning of, of the celebration we have at Easter. We've just scratched the surface. But I, I hope you'll see that every day, for the child of God who is born again, every day is Easter. What we celebrate here today is true for you every day. Because of his resurrection, you've been born again. If, you're, if you've trusted in Christ and looked to him and him only for your salvation. You've been forgiven. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You have a great inheritance waiting on you. Now if we were to have studied on in this passage... Peter warns us that this doesn't mean that we won't have trials as a believer. But what it does mean is that the final chapter is already determined. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can steal it. Would you rejoice in that today? Rejoice in that. But I also want you to say that if you're not a believer, this passage doesn't hold out any promise for you. You have another promise, another inheritance. And it's one that you don't want. You need to come The Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Him. Wouldn't it be great this Easter Sunday morning, somebody comes forward. Says, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to be born again. I want to ask God to cause me to be born again. To do His work of grace In my life. You come forward. We'll pray with you. Others may just want to spend some quiet moments. As the rest around us are singing. Just reflecting. And with a heart of gratitude to God. Thank him for what he's done. Folks we need to be a thankful people. We don't do that enough, do we? Gratitude. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. Have your way as we're yielded to you in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.